0: On the surface of it, it felt like we had nothing going for us. We had no sponsorship. I'm injured training eight hours a day, delivering pieces at night, trying to keep the dream alive. And I get it that we get into those places sometimes where, man, you're doing everything you can, and you just can't seem to catch a break. And I just want to encourage you not to let go of the dream, though. is to keep trying something else.
1: Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harsher Jr., and today I bring you three-time Jamaican Olympic bobsled team member, Devin Harris. Do you feel out of balance in your life, like your family and your work are your priorities, but like you're always shortchanging one or the other? Do you feel like you're going 100 miles an hour every day, getting 100 things done, but you don't feel like you're ever really moving the needle? Or maybe you feel like you want to be more consistent, more focused. Do you want to figure out what the right goals are for you? I know the feeling. I have a wife and four kids, a business, rental property, not to mention the inevitable challenges that pop up in life like cars breaking down or kids getting sick or work getting busy. But when I was a Division I All-American wrestler, I was focused. I was consistent. I knew what my goals were and I had a plan to get there. But when I got into the real world, things got complex. Everything seemed to be a priority. I ended up with a failed business, dead up to my eyeballs, in the worst physical shape of my life. And I knew I wasn't showing up as the husband and father that I should have been. That's when I realized that there was a framework in my life that I used when I was one of the top wrestlers in the country. And I realized that top performing CEOs and Navy SEALs and New York Times bestselling authors, you name it, used the same secret formula to get more done in less time and to maximize their potential and live a life of purpose and impact. If you want to know what that system is and how to apply it to your unique situation in life, I've opened up a few spots on my calendar for free 30-minute clarity calls so that you can learn this system too. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash apply. That's jimharshawjr.com slash apply. If you'd rather me just text you that link, send me a text at this number. I'm going to say this three times. Are you ready? 571-210-5450. Again, that number, 571-210-5450. Send me a text, and I'll text you that link. Again, that's 571 571- I look forward to talking to you. So if you've ever seen the movie Cool Runnings, it is about the Jamaican bobsled team. And I spare you and I spare Devin from having to answer the same questions he's answered a million times. People always ask questions like, Which character in the movie was you? Well, none of the characters is actually based on a specific person. So they're kind of a mixture of all the people. Plus, it's Hollywood, right? So it's not even really truly about each individual. It's about the experience of the Olympic bobsled team. And people always ask them, what were some of the things that were actually real about the Olympic bobsled team in Jamaica and what were not so real? Well, one of the things that was... Absolutely, a falsehood that's in the movie is they like riding down a cart with like football helmets, riding in a cart down a hill in Jamaica. He's like, that never happened. Anyway, I spare you and I spare Devin from having to answer those questions. You know, you can guess how many, how long those conversations can go on, but I really dive deep into his mindset because he grew up in the slums of Kingston, Jamaica, and he has become world class at now three different things in his life in the military. He actually went to the one of the most prestigious military academies in the world. And then, of course, becoming an Olympian. And by the way, when I say becoming an Olympian for the Jamaican bobsled team, you think, ah, how hard is it to make the Jamaican bobsled team? Well, there were tryouts. But once they actually got to the Olympics, they outperformed the United States. They outperformed Russia in different instances. I mean, these guys became world class. And then the third thing is he's an internationally renowned corporate speaker now. How does a guy like this who you know, most of his friends never even broken out of the slums, you know, and he's, you know, he's traveled the world. He's done amazing things, become world-class at three different things. Like, how does somebody do that? Like, what is the wiring that allows somebody to achieve at that level, despite where they started? It's fascinating. I work really hard as you'll hear in this interview to pull back the layers, to really uncover his mindset. And what are the things that he does differently? Than others, and he reveals some of these things. It's fascinating, and you're going to get a lot out of this. I encourage you to, to listen to this, listen to this twice, share it with a friend. If you enjoy it, please give it a share. Tell someone to check out the the most recent episode of the Success Through Failure podcast. Thank you for sharing. All right, let's get into it. My interview with Devin Harris. So let's start off from the beginning. You, you grew up. You know, as a barefoot boy trying to win a track race, and and you end up becoming a, a member of your country's first Olympic bobsled team. You grew up in Olympic Gardens. You grew up in a tough part of Kingston, Jamaica. And, you know, you make it to the Olympics, and now you're an international speaker. Tell us about your childhood. Tell us about growing up.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, so I often joke about Olympic Gardens. I'm like, no, that's not where we raise our Olympians. Then there was a guy called Mike McCollum, who was a boxer, and then myself, and now the famous, the legend, uh, you know, Mommy Rocket, Shelley and Fraser Price, who also grew up in Olympic Gardens. Rough, impoverished, violent neighborhood for sure, you know, and that was kind of the the environment that you grew up in, especially back when I was growing up in the 70s, -70s, mid-70s, early 80s, a lot of gang and political violence, and you know, you you we went to bed at nights, you know, hearing gunshots and that kind of stuff, you know. And yeah, so my favorite sport was soccer. I started playing barefooted because I didn't have soccer cleats. I never owned a pair of soccer cleats, by the way. And started running track barefooted. Yeah. And trying to win a race. You know why? Because I'm I'm Jamaican. I was born and raised in Jamaica where everybody sprints fast. They've got a few good runners from Jamaica, right? Except me, right? I can't sprint fast. So I'm like, damn it, man, I need to win something. So, I started running 800 and 1500 meters and started winning. And it just kind of blossomed from there. I kind of caught the Olympic bug, let's say, and and decided I would want to pursue that, becoming an Olympic middle distance runner. Of course, that didn't happen. I ended up being a bobsledder. So, go figure.
1: So, what would make a kid from Olympic Gardens, from a rough part of Jamaica, rough part of Kingston, believe that? you have a shot to to go do something amazing? What planted that seed? That's a really good question. I co- two things. I, and I always go back to my grandmother, man. You
0: have to blame her for that. So I spent my early years in rural Jamaica, a place called St. Elizabeth, a really tiny district called Haughton, with my grandmother, who was an amazing storyteller. And the stories I remember most were the ones, and not in any great, great detail, but the ones she told me about soldiers and how they could perform these amazing feats and not get hurt. Like, you know, jump in a deep gully and not break their legs. And it sounded impossible, but obviously they were doing it. And so it kind of lit up my little imagination. Maybe I could do something like that as well. And that's the thing that inspired me, one, to want to uh, be a soldier. But more importantly, I think it inspired me to want to do things that other people thought were difficult or impossible. And then. If you fast forward, it's 1979, the year before the Moscow Olympics. That's when I started training seriously because I was tired of losing. And um, the ABC Wide World of Sports had a series called Road to Moscow. And in it, they highlighted athletes from around the world, different disciplines, different nationalities, and so on. And, you know, when we think of Olympic athletes, we think of these superhuman people. And so the first thing I got from watching that series was how average and ordinary they were. They're just guys like you and I, Jim, but they had these extraordinary dreams and an equally extraordinary desire to go after those dreams. And so it dawned on me that, and maybe it's an oversimplification, I know it's an oversimplification, but it dawned on me then that anyone could become an Olympic athlete if they just dare to dream big enough and then be willing to put the work in, basically. And so that's when the this idea of becoming an Olympian was birthed. You know, so that drove me to work hard and and to pursue that dream. But the other dream, as I mentioned, uh, intonated earlier, was to become a soldier and, and more specifically, an army officer. That was like the overarching dream of mine. And so after I achieved that dream, I decided I would go pursue this Olympic thing again. and. One thing led to another, and instead of um, competing in Seoul, I
1: found myself competing in Calgary, 88. So you, you skipped over a part of the story that I think is fascinating in its own right, but you became an army officer, but you, you went to a prestigious military academy in England. Is that right?
0: Yeah, so uh, I'm a graduate of the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst in England, which is a British equivalent of West Point, the school of Winston Churchill Field Marshal Montgomery, you know, Princess Harry and William, and yes, this barefooted kid from Olympic Gardens in Kingston, you know, also graduated from Sandhurst. How did that come about? Uh, you know, as it was, we're fortunate to be part of the Commonwealth, man. So so Jamaica being part of the Commonwealth, our education, our laws, our military doctrine and so on is uh, based on the British system. So long story short, I had to go through this rigorous three-day selection process, you know, after high school and, you know, 33 of us uh, started out this journey over three days and um, we were whittled down to only three. I was a top pick of three people who got selected and, you know, went through 18 miserable weeks of boot camp in Jamaica. And then they say, okay, fine, you, you can go to Sandhurst now. So, because our, our Jamaica trains its officers, you know, some of them at Sandhurst, some at Dartmouth, which is for the or Coast Guard, the British Naval Academy, and so on. So I got to go to Sandhurst, man. And what was your role in the military? I was an infantry officer. So I'm like, uh, to be honest, man, I am as gung-ho as they come. I love that stuff. You know, I really loved, I really loved the Army. When I came back from Sandhurst as a, a second lieutenant, we say in English, uh, or in the, British, in the American Army to the first lieutenant. I was a platoon commander, so I commanded, you know, just short of my 21st birthday, I'm I'm commanding 30 men. And kind of moved up the ranks, you know, to commanding 120 men as a captain when I left.
1: Pretty good for a kid from Olympic Gardens.
0: It's it's not too bad, you know, making making some moves.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And... Did you feel like you had had made it at that point? I mean, you become a captain, you retire as a captain from the army. I mean, that is a, an incredible place for, for you to get to. Did you feel like you had made it at that point? I mean, were you still thinking about the Olympics? Was that still part of your dreams? Yeah. So it's an interesting question. So
0: my first two Olympics, by the way, took place while I served in the army. So I was Still technically a second lieutenant when this Bob said idea came about, and you know when I got selected to the team, commanding a platoon, and then by the time I became a lieutenant, I was actually commanding a company, which is it's not so unusual, but still the job for an officer who's a major like two ranks above me, I was commanding a company. And being in the army, there was a part of me that this yes, absolutely I made it. And so if I could go a little back. I remember 21 years old, just, you know, it's a summer of 1987 and I'm walking to the officer's gym and I'm having this intense conversation with myself. I'm like, so you have achieved your big dream. You're an army officer now. What are you going to do with the rest of your life, man? Is this it? And then I go, oh yeah, the Olympics, because <laughs> they were coming up in Seoul, Korea. And so I started, you know, training hard, running, hoping I could you know, get fit enough to qualify for the Summer Olympics. And this bobsled idea came up and uh, I impressed my commanding officer in a cross-country race. They didn't know I was an athlete, quote unquote. And so he thought he'd send his young fit officer to the team trials. Honestly, I don't think he expected me to make the team. He just wanted to say he sent an officer there because of a, of a philosophy in the army that says officers must always participate. But I went and I made the team, you know? I, I, I think they liked my smile, so they selected me. So, But, but it's kind of, it got interesting afterwards in the sense that I, here I am on the Bobstead team now, you know, me, you know, went to the Olympics, and now I'm doing all these promotional tours, promoting Jamaica and, you know, being on TV and going to some nice locations all across the U.S. And now I'm seeing a side of the world that it was impossible for me to see from my vantage point in Olympic Gardens. So when I was growing up, you know, and I looked out and I dreamt of, of all that I could possibly become, the furthest I could have seen really was the officer course. Like, God, if I could get there, man, there's nothing more I could ask for. Like, this would bit like the pinnacle of success for me, right? And the, the Olympic thing was kind of like icing on the cake. And now here I am, I actually got the iceland and the cake, the Olympics, but that opened up a whole new world to me. And now being an army officer was just okay because there was there was so much, and I'm like, whoa, there's all this out there too. Whoa, can I get some of this? Right? And so you, you go from the kid who couldn't wait to become an army officer because, you know, you couldn't ask for more to being an army officer and go, Yeah, you know, being an army officer is cool, but look look at all that other stuff that I could become as well. And so that prompted me, inspired me to want to leave the army and go seek greener pastures, as it were.
1: Do you believe it was your willingness to dream big that opened these doors for you, that allowed you to create amazing things? I mean... You know, I, I feel like a lot of people are afraid to dream big. They're afraid of failure, right? They're afraid of you know, maybe I'm just not good enough. I should settle for less. I mean, you don't seem like you're somebody who ever settled. Like you know, you you work hard. Like everybody, but everybody you talk to, they work hard. Everybody's busy. Everybody's working hard, right? You and you alluded to this earlier too. Like you know, you allowed yourself to dream big and have these big, high expectations of yourself. I mean, is that is that what allowed you to, to find this kind of success in multiple arenas of your life
0: yeah i think yeah absolutely this idea of dreaming big and you know, i describe myself as fiercely ambitious and i just think that if there is this thing out there that jim has done i'm thinking to myself "Wow, well, you know that's that looks good why can't i do it too and i want to do it because it, in my head it's going to make my life better but it also, an ever dreamer experiences this, right? It also opens you up to failure. There's a good chance that you might fail, right? So we talk about, you know, and I know your program talks about, you know, failure, failing and how you succeed from that. And so let's talk about Sandhurst for a minute. Because when I went to Sandhurst, my goal wasn't to graduate, that was a given. My goal was to win the award as a top overseas student. I never did, I failed. I was young and foolish and I jumped from a plane and I broke my ankle. And that essentially took me out of the running. You know, even though I was being considered at near the end, I didn't feel like I deserved it to be honest. But to me, that was a massive failure, man, because that was my one and primary focus to be named the top overseas student.
1: It never happened, but you know, the second prize was that I became an army officer. Yeah. Do you think you got further because you dreamed big, even though you failed at that one in particular?
0: You know, I have failed, you know, a number, obviously a number of times before that, but I just think that for me, failure makes me more determined to work and to succeed. And so, you know, whether it was that failure or, you know, prior failures, like, you know, we have to do these exams in Jamaica to go from elementary school to high school. Dude, the first time I did the exam, I failed. You know, and I'm disappointed because we all will be not discouraged. You know, I, all I did was just like, you know what, work harder. I worked harder and I passed. Next time I went to a pretty good high school in Kingston. So, yeah, you know, all of us, I think, all dreamers, all, anyone who has succeeded along the way, it's impossible for them to have achieved success without having to deal with some failures along the way. And the ones that bounce back and keep on pushing, as I like to say, are the ones who go, "Okay, fine. You know, it didn't work out this time, but I'm going after it again. And in fact, I'm going to go after this other bigger, even bigger uh, goal out there.
1: You know, let's let's see how it works." And tell us about the time when you were presented with this idea of the bobsled team of you know, trying out for the bobsled team. Take us to that moment. I and mean, what were you thinking? What was the scenario, first of all? Like, who approached you about it? And then what was that like? I mean, were you like, yeah, of course I'll do it, or no, I'm still on, on track for, you know, I'm going to try to make the Olympics as a sprinter. I mean, what was that moment like? So the first time I actually heard that Jamaica was about to start a bobsled
0: team, I was on duty. We, we do this 24-hour duties. And um, I was at the battalion headquarters, and the duty clerk comes in with a big stack of mail. It was a Friday, and I pulled out one piece called The Force Orders. It's kind of like a newsletter. And I'm reading through it, and I get to the part about sports. And I read it, and I didn't quite understand it. And so I read it two or three times and then deduced that they were asking for people who wanted to undergo dangerous and rigorous training to represent Jamaica and the upcoming Olympics in Calgary. Never heard of Calgary before. Um, you know, basically make themselves known. I'm like it just was so shocking. Like this has to be the most absurd, ridiculous idea ever conceived by man. And I go, I remember saying, nobody could ever get me to go on one of those things. So you fast forward a week or two and my colonel is walking by my office and he like almost like, "Mm," on a whim calls me. And you know, when the colonel calls a second lieutenant, it's never because he wants to shoot the breeze. And I was very nervous because the last time I, he did call me like that, I got in trouble. Anyway, he says, uh, tell Colonel Barnes. Colonel Barnes was a um, colonel who was in charge of sports in the Army. And he says, tell Colonel Barnes that you'll be going out for the said Team Trials. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'm not in trouble. I just have to go to the said Team Trials. And, you know, it was really from that moment, though, because I, he told me I was going to the Team Trials. So I am going to the Team Trials. And from that moment, I wanted to make the team because I'm just not wired in a way to go, okay, I went to the team trials and I, that's fun. No, I, if I'm gonna go, I wanna make the team. My challenge was I didn't know how I was gonna make the team. I didn't think, I knew I was what I would describe as army fit. I could walk a hundred miles with 50 pounds on my back and a rifle in my hand. I didn't think I was sports fit. I hadn't done any sports training for almost two years. So discovering that, you know, you had to do some sprinting, 30, 60, 100 meters, 300 meters. And I never ran a 30 or a 60 meter before. I also knew I didn't have enough time to train to get to what I would consider the kind of fitness level that I needed. So most of this was going to be mental now. So I remember going down to the the running track on the Army base and I ran. 30 meters, around 60 meters, around 100 meters. I didn't run the 300. I knew what those felt like already. That's what I did for speed work as a middle distance run. So I wanted to feel what those shorter distances felt like. And I go, okay, all right, now I know what it feels like. I know when I go to the team trials, I'm gonna give 150% and let's see where it lands. And so that
1: was my process. And so now you make the bobsled team. And I, I believe the first time you ever saw a bobsled in person was what I think September of nineteen eighty-seven, and the Olympics were in February, right? Exactly, September of
0: eighty-seven. We uh, the team trials were in September, and we went up to Lake Placid, met our coach, and he's like, "Gentlemen, this is a bobsled, right?" <laughs> and first of all, it's a, it is really crude. It's a really crude piece of equipment, and you're thinking, "How the hell am I going to fit in that? It's tight, right?" And we saw a track for the first time, and, and I remember looking at the track where the corner meets the straightaway and how narrow that is and thinking, how the hell are we gonna fit through there? And I, as I'm imagining the speeds that we're going at, and I remember thinking to myself afterwards, you know, well, others have done it, so I, I guess we'll have to figure it out as well. And then that weekend, the American team was there practicing their starts, and we went and we practiced with them. It was really difficult my week. It was really hard to to walk on on water. I mean, ice. It was really hard to walk on ice. And I I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, this Bob said thing is harder than I thought. And I've been speaking about this aspect, this particular point more recently that, hey, I never said it's too hard. I can't do it. I just said, it's harder than I thought. And so a lot of times, you know, dreamers, big dreamers, people are striving for success. They are going to come up on things that is just a little bit beyond them. And they may say, I can't do this yet. It's not, I can't do this period, I can't do this yet. And that was, uh, in essence sense, uh, my attitude, you know, wow, this is harder than I thought. So I guess there's,
1: more work, a lot more work left for me to do. And it worked out as it worked. And you guys have this monumental task in front of you. And for the listener, if you're not familiar with bobsledding, I can't say I'm all that familiar with bobsledding, but you and I were introduced, Devin, through a mutual friend, Ruben Gonzalez. He's a luge athlete, a luger. And he was explaining to me how technical it is to ride a luge sled and i know that bobsledding is similar and it is so technical it's not a sled like you know it's not like sled riding like when when i was a kid just jump on a sled and go down a hill like it's very technical it's very dangerous you have to work as a team and you guys now have to figure out how to do this together as a team in just a few months and you go from never even having laid eyes on one of these to actually you know, at the Olympics, you, you perform at a level that was way above what you should have performed. I mean, I think at the one Olympics you placed, I mean, I know certainly well above the United States team and well above like the Russians and a lot of others. I mean, how did how did that happen? You know,
0: there's a, a expectations, belief. I remember years ago I was speaking and this one guy asked, at what point back in 88 did you guys think you couldn't do it? And I'm like, well, you know, I've never been asked that question before, but actually never. We never once doubted that it wasn't going to happen. Were there times when we thought, man, this is really hard? Absolutely. So I think you you start out with this belief that it can be done and there's this expectation. And I, I know for me personally, I kind of fed into the expectations that Jamaica has for its athletes. Like, it's like, you're on a national team. You better perform, boy. Or else, you know, kind of stuff. I think, and it's a lesson for all of us, uh, you know, on our respective teams. I think people rise up to the level of the expectations that are there for them. And so, in our mind, as as long as we had on the black, green, and gold of Jamaica, we kind of had to rise up to the level. And so, we, so it it causes you to work, and to compete, and to perform in a way that transforms into the results that you see. I talk about Calgary in particular and how we were working overtime, I describe it. We're always on the push track when the other teams weren't. I, I, I guess they really didn't really need to be on the push track. They have been doing this for five years. We're doing it for five months. When the other teams were on the ice, on the start line, getting ready to go down the track. My friend from Australia, Adrian, from the Piazza, he has two pictures on Facebook that demonstrates this. Devon Harris is standing behind... Uh, the line watching the Swiss team go down the track and I'm standing there watching the Australian team go down the track. Always watching, trying to learn, trying to see, you know, what tip can I pick up that I can apply? And so it was just that kind of
1: all-in attitude that I think translated into the results that you saw. (laughs) Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I did see some of those pictures online of, of you. You're observing, you're watching, you're learning, you're looking at you know ways you can improve your own game. And so, for the listener, like, what is that for you? Like Whatever arena of your life that you are trying to up your game, get to that next level, Like, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention to to what the others are doing? I interviewed Dr. Friedman here recently, a few episodes ago. I mean, go back and check that out. He talks about reverse engineering, looking at the best in the world of what they do in reverse engineering that. But Devin, I want to go a level deeper with you because- We're looking at a guy like you who achieved so much in your life. I mean, from kid growing up in the slums to becoming a captain in the army and and graduating from one of the most prestigious military academies in the world to multiple time Olympic athlete to world renowned speaker. I mean, we just keep seeing this success in different areas of your life and we're looking for the secret, right? And we're going, okay, well, Devin does things a little different. Like I want that new shiny object. Is it a button I press? Maybe it's a a supplement I can take, or maybe Devin has like this certain app that he uses that helps him create success in all these areas of his life. But it's not like the things I keep hearing you say are, you know, you had belief, like the type of words that you use. You didn't say, I can't do this. I can't do this yet is what you said. And you know, you had this expectation, you had this belief, you use this certain language. I mean, for the listener who is dealing right now with their own Olympic dreams, right? They have that Olympic dream and it feels further off than ever, right? In their own version of the Olympics, right? Maybe it's the promotion, maybe it's starting the business, maybe it's repairing their marriage or running a marathon, whatever it is. And they just can't seem to get there. And they're stuck in that messy middle, what advice would you have for them? So my
0: kind of catchphrase these days is keep on pushing. And obviously, you know, you can't immediately say the bobs knowledge are there because that's how you start the race. But I think it's so instructive to life as well, man. You have to find a way to keep on pushing. And look, I think people, when they hear that, they kind of hear struggle, right? And I talk about that, and I think that's part of the process recognizing that it's going to be difficult. You're going to have obstacles in your way. You're going to have setbacks and failures. And you have to find a way to keep pushing yourself over, around, or through them. But it's also the idea of growth. You know, where you are right now in whatever that Olympic dream is, right? Whatever it is that you're trying to create a better situation for in your life, your relationship, your finances, and so on. And the skills that you have developed and the knowledge and the experience that, that you have gained so far, it's only going to bring you to this point. And to get to the next level, you're going to have to expand your comfort zone. You know, people like to talk about getting out of your comfort zone. You no, know, it's so basically you're creating a, a bigger comfort zone. And so you're going to have to expand that comfort zone by going to go learn some new skills. That's scary. That's hard. That's uncomfortable. Well, I never said it was going to be easy. <laughs> I never said it was going to be. It's, it is scary. It is scary. You have to be willing to take some risks, man. I know it's a little bit extreme. I talk about my first bobsled run ever, right? I'm going down the track. I'm crawling in a sled behind a guy who had never driven a sled before. And I am scared to death. I'm scared of speed and height, right? And, and I just remember thinking, you know, if I die, I die. But I'm going. Right? No, I agree. That's a little bit extreme, but the lesson here is, Jim, that there's a risk to achieving every single dream that you have when you're looking to expand your comfort zone to put you in a, a place that allows you to better able to accomplish this goal. It's, it's risky. You may have to pick up and move to a new city or a new country, like I moved from Jamaica to the U.S. or a brand new industry, you know, give up this cushy job. Like I gave up my job in the army and I talk about that, that, you know, we talk about three meals a day, no bills to pay, no wife to obey. Who gives that up? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so so you have to give up something, you know, the the, the old saying that you have to leave the shoreline or lose sight of the shoreline to find new lands. If you're not willing to take that risk, then you're not going to get the reward. And so you have to be willing to take the risk. So I say you, you manage the risk. You can't do away with them, but you learn to manage them. You learn to do the things that you need to do to mitigate the risk. Um, but, you know, sometimes you're going to fail and you just have to yeah
1: pick yourself up and, and keep on pushing. And I would argue that there's risk in not trying to, right? There's the risk of living a life of unfulfilled potential, of hopes and wishes and dreams that you never even attempted. There, there's a risk there too. I think that risk is even greater. And
0: ooh, the word, I don't to say sadder. It's just demoralizing is how I see it. Because I think about going back to old neighborhood and seeing some of the guys that I grew up with. And dude, I've been around the world. And in the same time that I've been around the world, they've been around the block. And I don't know that there were any extenuating circumstances that says, hey, Devon, you're going to go do this and this and this, and they are not. It it, it was just a matter of me wanting, you know, daring to dream and was willing to be uncomfortable, willing to, you know, fail and feel stupid, maybe, but and having it work out in my favor as opposed to go, you know, this is my world. This is my comfort zone. This is where I'm going to stay. It's just hard to imagine that there can be so much out there and that we have so much potential and we just kind of sit back and choose to live lives of mediocrity because we don't want to fail we
1: don't want to be uncomfortable it's garbage man it's garbage for the listeners i i don't want this just to be another podcast interview you listen to it you get some motivation from it and then you go on with the rest of your life like Actually, do these things. I mean, you're hearing it straight from Devin's mouth. Like, there was fear, there was struggle, there was adversity, there was doubt, there were setbacks along the way. Like, what is that looking like for you right now? You might be saying, Well, Jim, I've been trying on the side to build this business for years and I've invested time and money and I just can't get there. Well, that's the path. Like, that is the journey. And what is the next? Fearful thing that you have to step into, because usually what we want is on the other side of that fear, so do something about it. I mean this is real, and devin has lived it, and he's telling us exactly how you know he lived his life and this the, the story that is, he's created is is fascinating and and that story is there for you as well I agree with your mind that you know there there are times
0: when you're going to really ha- have to you're going to doubt yourself. You're going to question yourself. I'm like, what am I doing? Am I on the right path? Uh, You know, I I talk about (laughs) 1997. I'm trying to get to my third Olympic Games and I'm in Evanston, Wyoming, myself and my two great men. And we are coaching ourselves. We are training eight hours a day and we're delivering pizzas at night. So there's this Jamaican word, uh, cruff, C-R-U-F-F, I guess is how you spell it. And and it means like worthless, like no good, like a total waste of time. And I remember Jason, who incidentally was also an army captain from Jamaica, we would say, "Wow, well, you know, I kind of feel like I'm turning into a cruff. And I go, yeah, because like on the surface of it, it felt like we had nothing going for us. We had no sponsorship. I'm injured training eight hours a day, delivering pieces at night, trying to keep the dream alive. And I get it that we get into those places sometimes where, man, you're doing everything you can and you just can't seem to catch a break. And I just want to encourage you not to let go of the dream, though, is to keep trying something else. Just this weekend, I was in the backyard there splitting some wood and it's winter is coming, man. And plus it gave me a little workout. I'm not as young as I used to be. I, I'm discovering. That's the part that sucks the most. <laughs> but um, for some reason, it came to mind. I was—I remember thinking back to a conversation I was having with a football coach at the high school in Evanston, where we were training. And he said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he says, you know, Devon, the, the thing that I find remarkable uh, every time I talk to you is that you always seem so optimistic. And it's not not that I never got frustrated and so on but i i never dwelled on the problems you know i was always trying to think of a solution what can i do next how can what in which new direction do i need to push who can i speak to what new knowledge i need what new skills i need to develop and that's what all of us have to be doing every single time you know to get out of the mud as you say not to to move forward yeah
1: For the listener who is bought in, Devin, what's an action item you could recommend in the next 24 to 48 hours, right? They're going through their life's journey and they've had their ups and downs and they have that Olympic dream of their own, whatever form that takes. And they're saying, okay, I'm in, I'm motivated, I'm ready to go. Devin, what now? What can I do in the next 24 to 48 hours? So I think the first thing, like I said, they're ready to they're, they're ready to go. Because I was about to say,
0: you know, first of all, do a check to make sure that this goal, is one you really want, right? So let's say you've done that, and you go, okay, this is what I really want. So what is the stuck? Where are you stuck? What's preventing you from moving forward? Okay, so once you have identified that stuck, it's clear that you don't currently have the skill to get past it. Otherwise, you would have. So who can you go find to help you? It's okay to ask for help, man. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to say, I don't know. We all need the wisdom to know what we don't know. And we need the humility, once we have identified what we don't know, to go find somebody who knows what it is that we don't know and have them advise us, have them coach us, have them help us ain't no shame in my game. If I don't know, I'm going to That dude, I don't know this. How can you help me? And that's been my secret, man. I, I, every time I get stuck. Uh, yeah, so I'm very independent and I'm going to try them. You, but you can't keep hitting your head against the wall expecting different results. After a while, you realize, you know what?
1: What I'm trying isn't working. I need help. Where can I go find that help? And for the listeners, you've heard me talk about the environment of excellence before. I mean, when we were athletes and, you know, it's easy to see that athletes need coaches, athletes need teammates, athletes need people around them that hold hold them to a high standard. Well, it's the same now. If you're no longer a competitor, you're out in the real world competing in the real world at whatever it is, like, Who are the people who are achieving what you want to achieve? Again, whether it's in business or in your personal life and relationships or fitness, like who are the people who can help you? We see athletes have coaches, athletes have teammates, athletes are surrounding themselves with the right people. How about you? So that's a great piece of advice, Devin. Thank you for that. For the listener who wants to learn more about you, buy your book, follow you on social media, where can they go, Devin? Devin. Yeah, man, it's easy. It's, uh, my website is
0: devonharris.com, D-E-V-O-N-H-A-R-R-I-S.com. And yeah, the store is on, on there. You can go get, you know, one of my books. In social media, keep on pushing 88. Keep on pushing 88 is where you find me on Instagram and on Twitter. Keep on pushing always is where you'll find me on YouTube. And of course, I'm, you know, I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm the, the dude in the Jamaica said racing <laughs> uniform and i'm uh, on linkedin as well
1: excellent for the listeners as always i'll have all the links that devin just shared i'll put those in the action plan for you jim slash action and you can get access to the action plan from this episode devin thank you so much for making time to come on the show hey jim
0: thank you so much for having me on thank you so much for this forum as well man i just want to encourage you know your listeners your your listening audience to to continue to support the work that Jim is doing because it's important work. And I think all of us can benefit from the amazing work that he's doing. So
1: continue to support. Thank you, Devin. Don't forget about what I talked about before the interview. If you want to find balance, clarity, and focus, take the next step and go to jimharshawjuniorcom slash apply. Space on my calendar is very limited. So claim your spot now, jimharshawjuniorcom slash apply, or just send me a text message to 571-210-5450. Again, that's 571-210-5450. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, Let's talk, you can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshajr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly